This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. And we welcome to the show and back to our show, Andrew Lawrence, who is the director of the Shoreville Camp New England, now at Smith College. We want you to know about what the camp is and what the performance will be. It will be this Saturday at the Academy of Music. We'll hear more about that in a minute. And we also have with us in the studio three fabulous musicians who are at the camp, Roberto Valencia, who is the, one of the musicians, Douglas Laura, and Alexandre Ibero. Ibero? Ibero. Sorry. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. I, no. I, I apologize. Perfect. Uh, it's pretty good for me. If it's any, con- <laughs> if it's any consolation, you can't say names in English either. <laughs> <laughs> All very true. So, let me start, if I might, with Andrew Lawrence. Uh, tell us about the camp and who is here and why they're here and all of that, because I think a lot of listeners don't know, although come Saturday night at the Academy of Music, they are in for a treat. Some of your listeners may know that I also produced Django in June, and just three years ago, immediately before the pandemic, I started this second event devoted to a, a style of Brazilian music called Choro, and it's a style of music that de- started to develop in the 19th century in Brazil, like our ragtime and jazz it's a, it's a combination of uh, what was originally more uh, European music that then came to be, that, that met the Afro-Brazilian music that was happening at the time. And that tradition is still alive and well, and we're learning how to do it up at Smith College. And did this camp, this musical confab, come as a result, come together as a result of Django and June? Only in the sense that I I had some experience running this kind of event, and I was looking for another thing to do, and I fell in love with Brazilian music, and I thought, perfect, this will be perfect for that kind of a camp. So you spend a week or so uh, having all the musicians for Django in June, and then you spend another week immediately following for the uh, Choro Festival, is that right? That's what we're doing this year. It's a little bit of an experiment to see if uh, having them back-to-back really works, and so far it's going really well. How many musicians do you have at the camp? I know there were a couple hundred for Django. But you can't have a couple hundred again. <laughs> no, it's a much younger, much smaller event. We have about 50 people who are participants, and then we have another 9 or 10 faculty up at Smith College this week. And the participants, how do you select them? Where do they come from? Tell us a bit about that, if you would, please, Andrew Lawrence. Like any other niche style... There's people who are already in love with the style, and they are looking for an opportunity to meet each other, to play, and to learn more. So all you have to do is produce an event like this, and then they start finding you because they're excited to have the opportunity. Okay, we have three musicians with us in the studio. Would you like to introduce them correctly so that I don't go through my own malapropism? You guys want to tell us your names and where you're from, please? Uh, hello, my name is Douglas Lora, and I'm from a small town very close to São Paulo in the southeast of Brazil. I play the guitar, the seven-string guitar. Why don't you introduce them to Douglas? Well, here on my side I have Roberta Valente, one of the greatest pandeiro players from Brazil. From São Paulo, right? You, you, no, uh, São, São, São Simão. So Roberta is from São Paulo, and I'm very privileged to, to be here. To, I think it's a great... Um, it's a great uh, asset for, for this kind of festival to have Roberta here teaching, sharing her experience. And also Alexandre Ribeiro on the clarinet from San Simão, interior of the Sao Paulo State, 
one of the most amazing clarinet players from, from our times. And you call the music what? What is the genre? What is the... The, the general name for the genre is Shoro. Shoro, as Andrew said. Very and what is, that, what is that, tra- what is that, m- what you, does that word mean? If you want to literally translate it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be cry or crying. You know, like, uh, but it doesn't mean it's not necessarily a sad uh, style. It's actually very happy, very virtuosistic, uh, with a lot of notes, a lot of you know, harmony changes. It's very challenging for, for the average musician. And are there specific instruments that are part of Shoro? There are. The, uh, the characteristic ensemble is called Regional, and we have the Pandero, which is like the percussion, uh, the drum set uh, concise in one piece. You have the soloists, uh, there can be the clarinet, the mandolin, uh, flute, accordion. And then you have the guitars that do the, the, the harmonic uh, and the bass lines, the seven-string guitar, the instrument that I play. And finally, you have the cavaquinho, which is like a... Like say, a say that again? Cavaquinho. It's like a ukulele, like four strings, but with steel strings, and plays like a rhythmic uh, role, rhythmic and harmonic role. So the, the general the, ensemble is about six or seven instruments? Yeah, well, yeah, at least four. Okay. At least four, yeah. And there will be a performance this Saturday. Andrew Arnson, I'm going to go back to you. Tell us about that. Well, we have the staff on campus, about 10 people, and they are going to put themselves together in various combinations and knock your socks off. They will. Can we hear, can we hear what this sounds like? Can we hear a song? Okay, what are we, what are we going to hear? Cuxixando uh, by the great Pixinguinha. Okay.
Wow. You have been listening live in our studio to Alexandre Vero on clarinet, Douglas Laura on guitar, and Roberto Lenche on bandero. Andrew Lawrence, thank you so much for bringing these people. They are amazing. Tell us again, please, where the concert is and when, where, and how much, and where we can get tickets. You can get tickets through the Academy box office. We'll be at the Academy of Music Theater here in Northampton at 7.30 on Saturday night. Let me go back, if I might, to Douglas Lohr, the guitarist in this ensemble. Have you all played together before this week? I mean, are you a performing group together? Uh, we are not a regular performing group, but we know each other for a long time. And uh, oh, Ale and Roberta played uh, together, right, all the time. But, but not... This is the characteristic of the show music. We don't have to keep playing with people all the time in order to be... Because there is a, a repertoire, there is a, uh, a code... You know, like the rows of each instrument, and so it's if if you're if you're good if you're a good musician, you can you can just meet and, and play. It's like it's like jazz, you know. Well, in this sense, that brings up my next question, which is: Are these set pieces, or there's a lot of improvisation that goes on? There is a lot of improvisation, but they are standards. There, there is like a huge repertoire, a core repertoire of standard shows. Uh, that people uh, improvise on top of it, like a, but it's it's very different from the jazz improvisation, because it's much closer to the original theme, so you don't go that far away from from the melodic material that you have. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a little different the, the concept of improvisation, but but there is a lot of improvisation. Could you tell us a bit about the history of this music? Are we talking about a relatively recent form of music, or something goes back centuries? I'd like to know more about that. It it goes back to the end of the 1800s, and with the arrival of the royal family from Portugal, running away. From, okay, I'm 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 really going back, but running away from Napoleon troops. The Don John VI came to Brazil in the beginning of the 1800s. And by the, uh, the second half of the 1800s, uh, with the dances, that, the, the polka, the classical music that they brought, the waltzes and, and, and mazurkas and Scottish polkas, uh, uh, this music arrived in Rio de Janeiro in this melting pot, like cultural, like a lot of African influence. And, and this middle class that was beginning to be formed in Rio de Janeiro, was having access to, the, to this European music. And they have this approach to this music with a lot of African influence, with the syncopation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, they, and, they have, and they have this, this approach to this music that is much more, uh, with much more freedom of interpretation. You know? I'm trying to summarize here a thing that I could, could speak You're just for, trying for to summarize two hours. Two hours and <laughs> yeah, a couple, a couple <laughs> hundred years of history in a couple <laughs> minutes. I got it. But, but yeah, it's, it's almost like an appropriation of this European music by uh, this African sauce, the spice, you know. Um, yeah, it's basically, basically it's like a... So, so at the risk of asking a really dumb question, I'll ask it anyway. Is any is written? Is it all written down, or is it uh, all passed on in a, in a kind of? A it's all written down. Although the the like the organic, the the natural form of transmission of this music is oral, right? But but yeah, we have a, nowadays we, even more. We have a lot of material, written material, for lead sheets and arrangements and guitar parts, you know, and counter melodies, which is a very common aspect of this music. The the polypho- the polyphony. I really appreciate you being in the studio this morning. Can you stay with us for a few more minutes? I'd love to hear another song. Will you do that for us? Yeah. Oh, terrific. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. 
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Zero a zero, agora eu vou. Você deu mole, então eu marco gol. Zero a Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries on the corner in Northampton on the main Dragon Keen plus local burgie. Burgers and barbecue in Williamsburg. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley Co-op. The Afternoon Buzz with legendary civil rights attorney from Ashfield, Buzz Eisenberg. Buzz will bring you his take on the day's news, plus arts, culture, and politics from the Valley weekday afternoons at 4. Brought to you by Lundgren, family run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield. The Afternoon Buzz, 101.5 WHMP. Your weed eater. We mean weed whacker, but weed eater fits better in this ad. Makes life simpler. Well, now the mortgage eater from Franklin First does that as well. Franklin First reintroduces the mortgage eater loan. The loan that pays off your first mortgage or works as a second mortgage to give you financial flexibility. Mortgage eater loans start at five-year terms and have no closing costs. So visit franklinfirst.org, get all the details, and apply online. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, member NCUA, equal housing lender. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue here in the studio with Andrew Lawrence, who is the director of the Charlotte Camp New England that is at Smith College this week. The concert will be this Saturday evening at 7.30 at the Academy of Music with tickets available at the Academy's box office and at the time of the concert itself, of course. We have with us in the studio Alexandre Ibero on clarinet, Douglas Laura, guitarist, and Roberto Valenci on pandero. 
I'd like to ask you, if I might, before I'm going to ask you to play a bit more for us. This is amazing music. I, I've just, it's just, oh my goodness. But I would like to ask you this. Uh, is all of the choral music instrumental, or are there any vocals that go with it? Yes, it's, it's basically instrumental genre. There are some, some versions of some uh, classic shorts with lyrics, but it's basically instrumental uh, as in its nature. With the six or seven instruments that you told us about earlier. Um, are there different rhythms for shoro music? Could you tell us about that? That's a great question, because uh, the shoro is a genre, it's like an umbrella that you have several different rhythms that are part of this genre including the shoro itself as a rhythm. To make it more complicated, the shoro is the name of the genre and, and the name of one of the rhythms. And that's the, the next piece we're going to play. But you have the samba, you have the polka, you have the mashishi, uh, waltzes. So you have different, the, the flavor, the bayon, yes. Uh, so you have several, several rhythms within this style, with, within this genre called shoro. There are parts, so, so it's not about only the rhythm, it's about the approach to the music, it's about the form and the harmonic schemes of the form that are part of the form. It's about the, um, the idiomatic, like the, how, how do you play this music, the approach. Yeah. Could you tell me this, I'd love to know this from the three of you personally, um, how did you come to know about the Shoral Camp New England? What brought you here? How did you know about it? Well, I, I, my, my personal uh, experience with Andrew, we, we talked many years ago about it. And uh, I, I think you, you were just starting to, to think about this idea, yeah, right? I'm going to speak now because Douglas is going to be modest. He is a very accomplished and, and well-known classical guitar player. And he was in a duo called... Uh, duo Brazil Guitar Duo. Brazil still, guitar still around, duo. still working. And he was... He, very much so. And so he was in the area, and I knew he would be a great resource to talk to about this. And he very kindly met with me and gave me some information, uh, gave me some good ideas. And then much later, I learned about Alexandri and Roberta, and I simply approached them. Approached them here in the United States or emailed them in Rio? Uh, in Sao Paulo, actually. But yeah, I contacted them uh, first by... Uh, uh, by email or something like that. But I've been living in Brazil for the last couple of years, so it wasn't so uh, strange for me to be contacting Brazilians in my, in my pidgin Portuguese. <laughs> great, great Portuguese, by the way. <laughs> Can we hear another song, please? Yes. What are we going to hear? We're going to hear Perigoso by Orlando Silveira Esmeraldino Salles. And Perigoso means dangerous. <laughs> Thank you. 
Alejandri Ibero, Douglas Laura, Roberta Valencia, thank you all so very much. That's just amazing. Before we go, I'd like to ask a question of you, if I might, Andrew Lawrence, who is the director of the Charlotte Camp in New England. You said you were living in Brazil the last couple of years. Last I knew you, I think pre-pandemic, you were here in Northampton. Tell us a bit about that international uh, part of your life, if you would, please. Well, what happened for me basically was that was the pandemic. In addition to uh, my partner, my wife, Flavia, she, for reasons of her own, had to return to Brazil for a couple years. And we were figuring out uh, what we were going to do about that. And the pandemic came along and it basically shut down on my work. <laughs> so I joined her down in Brazil and I've been there for the last couple of years. And it looks like I'll be there here, there for a while longer. And coming back to Northampton on a regular basis? We, we're still figuring that out. I'll certainly be back in the spring to, to produce Django in June and Shoto Camp New England. Well, I want to thank you for bringing us this amazing music and these fabulous musicians. What, what, what a gift. What a gift to our community. Thank you, all of you, so very, very thank much. You this for is the just, just for having us. We are waiting, everybody and you, in our concert next Saturday. The Saturday will be the Saturday will be the concert will be Saturday at the Academy of Music at seven thirty. Tickets are available at the Academy of Music box office. You can buy them at the time. I really suggest you get them early. You will do yourself a tremendous favor. This is amazing music. These are extraordinary musicians. We'll see you at the Academy of Music this Saturday, seven thirty. Thank you all so very, very much. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Eversource representatives held a public meeting last night to discuss the reasons they're proposing a natural gas pipeline between Springfield and Longmeadow and to allow the public to comment on the ongoing review and permitting process. Project manager Richard Salvareza says the pipeline will provide redundancy in the current distribution system to improve safety and reliability and would not increase the number of gas customers in the region. The point of this project as a resiliency project, as uh, providing reliability to our system. Eversource must obtain several municipal, state, and federal permits before the project can begin within the next two years at an estimated construction cost of $44 million. The Holyoke Police Department has seized nearly $1 million in cash from city residents over the last four years, according to an investigation by the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Public records revealed the police department spent the majority of the money seized on paying officers for overtime. Current Holyoke Police Chief David Pratt received $169,000 in overtime pay between 2011 and 2021. Law enforcement officials can take the property of any citizen, even if they are not convicted of a crime, through a process known as civil asset forfeiture. Prior to 2018, seized cash was kept in a locker at the police station. And there's a new president at Greenfield Community College. Dr. Michelle Schutt has been named GCC's 11th president. She will take over for interim president Dr. Richard Hopper on July 18th. Clouds and scattered showers remain for your day today with highs only near 70. Shower chances continue into tonight with lows around 60. Thursday will feature more clouds and showers along with an increase in humidity. Highs in the low to mid 70s. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Reshi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media.
la Oficina de Planificación y Desarrollo Económico de la Ciudad de Holyoke y la Comisión de Planificación del Pioneer Valley serán coanfitriones de una reunión pública este miércoles 22 de junio entre las 3.30 y 7.30 de la tarde en el Holyoke Senior Center. Habrán presentaciones duplicadas a las 4 y 6 de la tarde sobre el Plan de Turismo Histórico y Cultural de Holyoke, el nuevo sitio web Explore Holyoke y el calendario de la comunidad de la ciudad, así como el proyecto Ciudad de Historias de la Sala de Historia de la Biblioteca de Holyoke. En estas presentaciones se buscará la opinión del público para obtener información sobre cómo los residentes valoran los recursos históricos y culturales de la ciudad. Los comentarios se incorporarán al Plan de Turismo Histórico y Cultural de Holyoke, que se está creando como una enmienda al Plan Estratégico de Turismo de Holyoke recientemente completado. En otras informaciones, el Comité de la Cámara escuchó un testimonio escalofriante y lloroso el martes de que la incesante presión de Donald Trump para revocar las elecciones presidenciales de 2020 provocó amenazas generalizadas a los trabajadores electorales y los funcionarios locales que rechazaron las demandas del presidente derrotado, a pesar de los riesgos personales. El panel que investigó el ataque del 6 de enero de 2021 en el Capitolio de los Estados Unidos se centró en los esfuerzos de Trump para deshacer la victoria de Joe Biden de una manera más local apoyándose repetidamente en los funcionarios públicos en los estados claves del campo de batalla con propuestas impactantes para rechazar las boletas por completo o presentar electores alternativos para el escrutinio final en el Congreso. La presión de alto perfil descrita como potencialmente ilegal fue alimentada por las falsas afirmaciones de fraude electoral del presidente que, según el panel, se extendió peligrosamente en los estados y, en última instancia, condujo directamente a la insurrección mortal en el Capitolio. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our monthly time with Dr. Jane Fleischman. This is our segment, Sex Matters. With Dr. Jane Fleischman, I did ask the doctor what we would be uh, uh, exploring today. Wait, 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 wait! Don't jump the gun, Bill. Hang on. Okay, as I said, we talk about sex here every month, and that seems like good advice. Go, all right, Dr. Fleischman, microphone is yours. Vet any of the topics she might possibly <laughs> bring right, here for FCC right. purposes. And I have learned now. I've learned which words. You know, George Carlin taught me well. So yeah, also not factually accurate when it comes to the FCC, but entertaining oh, good, good. nonetheless. Um, does the word "bad" with a three-letter word after it is that allowed? Badass. Oh, there it is. Yes. I wasn't sure I could say it today. Okay, because I'm going to introduce you to somebody who was, who is a badass. So, anyway, Bill Monty. Last month we talked about toys. Lots of toys. I brought my toys into the studio. We had, I had a lot of fun. Monty had a lot of fun. <laughs> Bill had some fun. Less of the A to Z toys and more of the Oh My toys. Right, 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 right. But you know, <laughs> very good, very good, Monty. Thank you. But that's because last month was Masturbation Month. May is Masturbation Month. And I've made it. A year-long goal for me. Every month is National Masturbation Month for me. So what do you think June is known for in the sexuality world? Any ideas, Monty? Well, the song that I decided to queue up would be what I would go for. Okay, and I saw I... the colors on oh, the book that you brought. Don't look, don't look, don't look. Okay. Uh, Bill, what do you think? What do you think June is known for? What is June? Uh... Uh, deflowering month? Okay, no, that's May. Okay. Everybody knows that. Oh, Bill. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bill, were <you> listening? <laughs> we're going to have to go back and replay last <laughs> month. So this month, we're going to celebrate Pride. 
Ah. Well, actually, it's the end of Pride. So happy end of Pride Month, Bill and Monty. Right, but because the first isn't the first uh, Saturday Pride Day. Well, in Northampton, we're weird. Usually, people celebrate Pride on the last Saturday, on June twenty eighth, because that's the great anniversary of the Stonewall Rebellion from ah. nineteen sixty nine. But I wanted to talk today a little bit about Pride and its meanings since the first Pride March, which happened. The year after Stonewall, 52 years ago, and it happened in the West Village in New York. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what led up to that march and what's been happening since. Because, you know, I wrote this book. Really? You wrote a you book? You wrote a book? <laughs> you wrote a book? <laughs> wow. Wait, which we happen wait, to have a copy of in the studio. And Let's my see. name is on the cover? Like, is that the coolest thing And in the some world? sort of silver medal as well. Yeah, I got, a, I got a Nautilus Book Award. I'm very proud of that. But anyway, I wrote this book about... Let's the get, Stonewall let's, let's, Generation. Well, we, okay. p- people can't wait anymore. Okay. Tell us the title again. The Stonewall Generation, LGBTQ Elders on Sex, Activism, and Aging. You noticed I put sex first. I did though, notice that. Sex sells books. It also, <laughs> also, silver medals on books. Also, because it was really fun to talk about. And I went around the country and I interviewed all these people. And you've met some of them. I brought some of them onto your show before. But the thing that I loved about doing this book was I learned all the history. And I thought erroneously, that Stonewall was the first moment of rebellion. And in fact, it wasn't. And we're going to talk about that today. So are you game? Oh, yeah. I'm okay. really interested There's in There's no quiz, though, Monty. That's fine. It means There'll be a quiz can't... after to make it sure means you're you can't win. <laughs> well, you can just chime in, Monty, because you're going to... Monty and Bill, you're going to know a lot of it. So I learned a lot about the history of what we now call the LGBTQ rights movement. But in the old days, could remember... You, could you stop for one second, yeah. though? Because I know we're yeah. going to learn some history. But Stonewall, in fact, is a, was a seminal event. Totally. Well, ovarian, I think. But anyway, yes. <laughs> but, but Bill, it was known I as that was the, pretty good. It was good. It was known as the sort of galvanizing moment for what we think of as the modern gay rights movement. Absolutely. And it went on for five or six days. We don't even know how long it went on because we don't have really good records. And people always talk about Stonewall, and I thought Stonewall was it. So... Stonewall still exists, by the way. And go back a sec. For those of our listeners saying, okay, I know something about Stonewall, but tell us what it was. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. I'm going to tell you in the words of somebody who was there that night. It was an uprising, and it wasn't planned. It was spontaneous. It was one of those moments where people just said, I can't take it anymore. You know, there had been so much police brutality and uh, jailings and um, just horrible discrimination against people who just wanted to go out and have a drink dance, kiss, and maybe have sex. And Stonewall was a gay hangout. It was a a really great bar, and it was a bar that a lot of drag queens and trans people liked. It was a bar that lots of different cultural groups could go to. One guy in my book was a Puerto Rican guy, and he said, I sat in the back where the Latins sat. You know what I mean? Like, he he had his area. So, um, and the woman that I'm going to introduce you to, Miss Major, she was there at the end of the night because she was a sex worker, and she went to make sure her girls, quote-unquote girls, we're okay. She's a trans woman, and she wanted to make sure that nobody got hurt that night, nobody got killed. And so it was a place that, you're right, Bill, a lot of people went to, and it still exists. It's right in the West Village on Christopher Street, and you can go there, and there's this very cool uh, plaza in front of it. But anyway, I don't want to talk too much about that, because I want to I get to this one, but so much of the issues that was that were really present back then, you know, like this police intimidation stuff, and the invisibility of people and homophobia and biphobia and transphobia and racism and sexism, 
many of them are still with us, roaring their heads today. You know, but some of them are not the same. Like the police raids almost every night. You know, the bars were owned by the mafia, right? And the gay bars were. And payoffs were a kind of a constant thing where the bartenders would pay off the cops. They'd have a little envelope of cash and they'd pass it to the cops. And mostly everything was okay except when it wasn't. And mostly people who went to the bars didn't want to be too visible. They were pretty closeted back then. We're talking about the 60s and the 50s. And so people went quietly into the squad cars or the police vans. But something different happened that night. So I want to tell you a story about the sparks that flew that night from one of the people whose stories never get told. This is Miss Major Griffin Gracie. And I'm going to show Bill and Monty a picture that nobody else can see. But if you buy my book, you can see it. That's Miss Major without her wig on. She's pretty bald. I and like her already. She's a black trans woman who spent the better part of her life as a sex worker, an activist, and a fighter for the rights of trans women of color who are disproportionately incarcerated in this country. And as I said before, Stonewall was considered a real watershed moment for the quote-unquote gay rights movement. But it wasn't the first uprising, and it certainly wasn't the last, right? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her perspective on that night, okay? So uh, let me know if you need to take a break or something. This will take just a couple minutes. What happened that night was when the cops came in, they told us, get up and get out. But no one got up and no one got out and moved away. You know what I mean? And it was just a feeling of things are different tonight, and you could feel it in the air. No one really said anything, you know, and on our way outside, we got into a fight. I don't know how it started. The rumor was someone threw a shoe or a beer bottle. What I had learned in Chicago from fighting the police is, if you're in a confrontation with one, do something to piss him off so he knocks you out, and then he'll step over you and engage the next person. But if you continue to fight him, he'll break your bones, shatter your jaw. You know what I mean? So I licked the guy's neck. <laughs> I spit <laughs> in his face, and he immediately knocked me out, and then he went to drag me to the paddy wagon where a lot of the girls were. And then the girls decided to come out of the paddy wagon and they chased the police back into the bar. That was pretty funny. And thinking about it now and reading all this stuff that's come out of it and the books people have been writing, I've yet to see something written by one of the black girls that were there. Because for most of us, it wasn't something. It, was, it wasn't monumental. That was a part of our lives and we were fighting for our survival. We were fighting so we could live to see another day. This had nothing to do with politics or doing the right thing or standing up for our rights. No, no one let us know we had rights at that time. So one more thing she says, the thing about it for me after the fact was it got whitewashed and taken away from my girls and me. Because it was a bar for mostly trans women, gender nonconforming people, the oddities of New York at the time. It was a lone little spot that Stonewall was at. It had a second floor for extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it became a matter of where's my girls in this, you know? A lot of us didn't even know about the first Pride Parade they had until we saw it on TV because they just cut us out. And she goes on in her story to talk a lot about how she thinks this idea of the LGBTQ rights movement is really misrepresenting where trans women were because the T is at the end and she thinks that it ought to be right in the beginning. So that's interesting, right? So uh, I want to tell you a little bit about some of the other stories that we haven't heard. 
which we will do right after the break. You have been listening to Dr. Jane Fleischman reading from her book, The Stonewall Generation. This is our Pride Month celebration, which will continue right after this break. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Beer Heaven at Cooper's Corner in Florence with Beer Mike. Mountains Walking Brewery in Bozeman. This brewery was started by a guy who grew up in Taiwan. The name Mountains Walking comes from a 13th century Zen philosopher named Dogen. And he basically said something along the lines of, when you understand the walking of the mountains, you understand yourself. This is from their seasonal sweets series. And it's a sour ale with banana, maple syrup, cinnamon, and lactose. Huh, these beers are so weird and I love it. This one, I think it's got about 2,200 pounds of banana puree per batch. That's about how many bananas we buy a week. Super banana-y. Smells like fried plantains. Oh man, I like this. And then I smell the cinnamon too. This one I just want to contemplate. Part of that whole philosophy and, and what the brewery name is about is it's something to stop and think about. You hit the nail on the head. It's almost like a banana cream pie. Find your favorite beer and your next favorite beer at Cooper's Corner, Florence. I chose community mental health to serve populations that are often underserved. Megan is a therapist at ServiceNet. One core value at ServiceNet is to continue to learn, to really strive for the most effective treatment. If you're looking for a strong sense of community and collaboration, come to ServiceNet. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote. 586-1000. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So we have a system where folks in rich countries are getting a higher quality of care, higher quality vaccines. And when we, we have technology that we could produce and we could produce more of it to make sure that everyone gets the best chance to um, beat this pandemic. And we're not doing that because of monopoly rights um, that Moderna and Pfizer are choosing to maintain. 101.5, and 12.40. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue Sex Matters with Dr. Jane Fleischman. This is our Pride Month celebration. And Dr. Fleischman, you are going to share with us some history. Yeah, so... One of the great things about uh, looking at historical events for the LGBTQ community is what you think you know, you don't, You only know a little bit, right? You only know a little bit of, like, the top of it. And so when I started doing the research, I thought 
again, you know, June 28, 1969 was this watershed moment in the history of this movement that I've been a part of for all this time. And I thought, wow, it's great that finally something happened. Turns out, of course, that things have been happening before, but a little bit under the radar, and not in New York City, which is also interesting, although one, one event did happen there. But go back about 10 years before that, 1959, at a place called Cooper's Donuts, <laughs> there was a riot in 1959 in L.A. This was a place in L.A. where a lot of lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, drag queens, and transgender people hung out. And they were frequently harassed by the LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Department. Because they were taking over the donut shop. And they, they were Way worried. to play into stereotype police. Well, actually, the guy that owned it didn't like the fact that it was sort of turning into this mecca for what Miss Major would call the oddities, right? And so um, they fought back, and they pelted the cops one night when the cops tried to arrest three people. They started pelting with donuts and coffee cups. I thought that was great. And I thought, you know, like... Well done. Like, way to go, the, you know? The donuts against the batons. Really, really. And, um, Those are called crullers. Well, actually, you know, Bill, that brings up a good point. At the Stonewall riot 10 years later in 1969, there were no casualties. Nobody shot anyone. And if this had happened today, it would have been a completely different story. So just thinking about that and how we're all talking right now about gun violence and how prevalent it is. So back in 1959, Cooper's Donuts. Then there was the Dewey's Coffee Shop in 1965 where... Uh, could, you, could you stop there just yeah. one second? This this confrontation yeah. at the donut shop. Cooper's yeah, donuts Cooper's in, Donuts. Yeah. In, in L.A. Did it receive a lot? Of, I mean, did it receive a no, lot of publicity? But it had to have received something because we know about it, right? This whole time that I've been looking at this research... I've been thinking about that same question, Bill. Like, how many times did people rise up and no reporter was there, so we don't know about it? Stonewall was different because a village voice reporter was there and got trapped in the bar when the cops barricaded it. So there was this eyewitness report, which is amazing, and it showed up in the village voice, and then it showed up in the Times, right, in the New York Times, writing something about gay people. Like, how weird is that? But you're right, many of these stories probably went completely unrecorded. So that one in Cooper's Donuts did get recorded. And in 65 to six years later, 150 gender nonconforming people came to Dewey's Coffee Shop in Philly, Philadelphia, to protest the fact that the shop was re refusing to serve young people in what they called nonconformist clothing. So it might have been men in dresses and women in drag, right? We don't know, but that's what they called it. And after three protesters refused to leave after being denied service, they, along with a black gay activist, were arrested. I want to talk about that in a moment. This led to a picket of the establishment organized by the black LGBT population in Philly. Like, think about that. Really nice connection between two groups that had really felt the oppression. And later in May of that same year, another sit-in was organized, and then Dewey's Coffee Shop agreed to end their discriminatory policies. Well, right on. Stop there for a second. Yeah. That's really, because at that time, yeah. you're talking 19... You're talking That's 65. 65. Yeah. I've been wondering whether there, it's just post the uh, 64 yeah. Civil Rights Act and whether yeah. there is public accommodation yeah. protection, whether there's some legal protection. Oh, good point. 
Right, right. It depends on who owned the bar, right? And so, well, whether yeah, I'm sure yeah. the, the the existence of the law or not, and we're not yeah. going to determine whether what the police yeah. do. Yeah, but what I li- but I liked about that was right around the same time, a guy named Bayard Rustin was helping Martin Luther King organize the March on Washington in '63. A black gay man who was also a communist and also had been arrested many times for both civil disobedience and what people now called morals charges. But he couldn't come out as a gay man because he was concerned that it might drive a wedge between the movement. And and, and hurt the civil rights movement. Right, right. Very concerned about that. He didn't want to hurt King, right. So so the fact that there was a black LGBT population in Philly is pretty far-reaching and pretty amazing. To me, it's what's amazing is that they're out about it. Totally, totally. I mean, I mean this right. was this was not pick up your local newspaper, right. including the New York Times, and there'll be an article about the LGBTQ right. community, right. A, a series of letters that were not used in newspapers or the media then at right. all. Oh, I totally. I'm sure agree. they weren't used then either, right? They probably no. were just framed it in a totally different context. It right. wasn't I mean, used it was, LGBT or right. anything like that. We, you know, we struggled with that, right? First it was the gay rights movement, and then it was the gay and lesbian rights movement, because us women were pushy, and we kind of like shoved our L right in there. <laughs> and then the bisexuals, especially around here, were like, the heck with you all, what about us? And there was a real fight. Who are you? Are you really part of us? Are you, you know, that kind of thing. So then it was LGB for a while, and then trans people like Miss Bajor were like, what is wrong with you people? What happened to the T? You know? And then people said, well, what about Q? Because we're all queer anyway. And yet a lot of the people in my book who are older, like me and Bill, they didn't feel good about that word Q, you know, the queer part, because, because that it was, been, a it was a pejorative. It was a derogatory term. Totally, the, it was a pejorative. Today it's like embraced in this really lovely way. And I, Right, but 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 it it was a real it was it was a slur that you totally when we were growing up and even today, right? LGBT is not really as inclusive as it could be, right? What about people who consider themselves asexual or aromantic or pansexual? You know, there's so many different possibilities within this umbrella. Now people are starting to think of new terms because. Anyway, LGBTQIAA plus is like way too long. But anyway, <laughs> quilt bag was a word that they really? rearranged for a yeah, while yeah, there yeah. that hit a lot of those, yeah, that was those good. letters, that was but good. it still doesn't not all comprehensive. Plus, there's like there's gender identity issues and totally. maybe like nonconformity in your totally. clothing right. versus your sexual preferences, which are all right. you know, queer I, is a I like that term because it covers a whole lot of things, but maybe isn't specific enough at times. Right. I mean, some people call it sex and gender minorities. You know, there's a lot of different possibilities, but you're right. And it wasn't cool that in that last example, people were fighting because they were wearing the quote-unquote wrong clothing. So then let me take you to the next year. In 1966, in um, San Francisco, at the Compton's Cafeteria, a, a riot occurred in August in 1966 in the Tenderloin. And it was one of the first recorded... This is a district in New York we're talking about? No, no, in San Francisco. In San Francisco, yeah. I'm sorry, right. It was one of the first trans-led rebellions in the U.S., and it marked the beginning of what people see as transgender activism in San Francisco. And, you know, Miss Major was in San Francisco for a long time, and she has some words about that. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of fighting, right? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of really uh, struggling within the what we now think of as this LGBTQ. But... The Black Cat Tavern in L.A. was the site of one of the early rebellions in 1967. And then later in 67, Julius's, which actually still exists, which is a bar in New York City, 
LGBT activists held what they called a SIP, S-I-P as in Peter, SIP-in, based a sort of modeled after the sit-ins at lunch counters in Greensboro and other places, um, really trying to uh, highlight the fact that gay people couldn't sit at the bar. And after that, New York City actually changed its law and no longer kept bars from serving this LGBT population. So that's interesting too, right? And it brings us back to Stonewall and this idea that it was a series of spontaneous and really somewhat you know, uh, in-your-face demonstrations by LGBTQ patrons. And now to the present. So things are changing. So let me talk about three things that are changing, some themes. One th all right, may, uh, Monty says one thing. Movements. No, I said one minute was okay, what I was minute. trying to tell you. All right, I'll say... Since we're pulling back say, the veil. I'll say three things in one minute. Uh, movements change. You know, we didn't have a no-ho march this year. No no-ho no, no pride, but hopefully next year. And it gave rise to smaller pride marches in Greenfield and in Springfield and in Holyoke. Uh, leadership changes in Boston. They threw out all the white sort of corporate leadership of the Boston pride. We don't have a Boston pride march this year, so... Changes in the air. Maybe some younger uh, BIPOC folks are going to take over that one. And we're seeing so many attacks on LGBTQ rights. I mean, from all this you know, anti-trans and anti-gay legislation. And now I think of it as part of a right-wing backlash. And I'm just so frightened about what's going to happen with Roe. You know, it's another part of this backlash, Roe v. Wade. And, and yet, I think it's all a response to how much possibility we gave people and how much change we really made in the last... 52 years. So happy pride, you guys. May it be the beginning of a new movement, new leadership, and new ways to fight back. We've been speaking with Dr. Jane Fleischman. Her book is titled The Stonewall Generation. It's available at your local independent bookstore, and we wish everyone happy pride month. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Matthew. gave it away everybody had to pay and pay a hustle here and a hustle there new york city is the place where they said he'd be want to know more about local history literature and education hilltown families bi-monthly learning ahead cultural itineraries offer an easy way to delve into western mass culture and traditions these new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place funded by a year-long grant from mass humanities you can download guides anytime free of charge at hilltown families Org. Do you act a certain way around your partner because you're afraid of what they'll think or say? Are you afraid of what they'll do? If you're in a relationship, it's your right to be healthy and safe. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, or physical, you have options, and Safe Passage is here to help. It's all free and completely confidential. We are here for you. Call our hotline at 413-586-5066 or visit safepass.org. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10